Welcome to our Frontline City Church podcast. This message will activate and inspire you in the supernatural love of God to find your purpose and reach your destiny through Christ. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, like Dad said, Pastor Mandy is not here. She's recovering at home. But I tell you, her heart's here. And God's going to do something very, very special today. We're in revival. And we have been praying for this for years and years and years and years. And this meeting is an answer to prayer. You being here is the answer to somebody's prayer. And something's going to shift tonight. God is here to move. God is here to touch you. God is here to change you. Okay. Praise Jesus. Psalm 115, start there. Let's just start with a word, because nothing's going to happen here outside of the word. He will bless us. The Lord has been mindful of us, and he will bless us. Okay. Um, Let's carry on, verse 13, please. He will bless the house of the Lord, both small and great. He will bless... By the Lord, (laughs) he will bless the house of Israel and he will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who has made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth has given to the children of men. God has given us the earth to rule and reign. And it's time for us to step into it. To just add a little bit to my bio, to just let you understand who I am. As Dad said, we have been in business since we were young. We've trusted God for businesses. We, God spoke to us the first time about a business. And every night we sat on the spot where we believed the business would be. And sat there and prayed. And sat there and prayed. doesn't matter what we did. If we went to church or if we went out. On our way home, we'd stop. It was in Nisner. We'd stop at the premise place where we believed God's going to give us a business. And about four years later, we owned that shop there. Because prayer changes things. And we thought, this is our breakthrough. This is going to work. This is going to be the answer to prayer. And nine months later, we lost everything we ever inherited, everything we ever saved up, everything we've ever put together. Because we were without a father. We had no idea that we had to have a covering to build something. Dad spoke last night about the barrenness in Babylon. And I recognized myself so many times. I've tried to build stuff in Babylon and then nothing happens. If you're trying to build something outside of where God wants to have it, it fails. I tell you, I have the ticket for that. Uh, We had the tourism business in Nisner and the boat sank and we lost everything. Then... We had trucks, uh, business in transport, the trucks crashed, and we lost everything again. Then we thought something that can't crash or sink is houses, and we built up a whole property portfolio of eight houses, and it all came crashing down, and one by one, they were sold on auction until they got to our own house. They came and sold it on auction, and we had nothing. A friend walked in at the auction, and he bought our furniture, and he gave it back to us. But we lost everything. They came to work. We're the prosperity teachers. And they came and towed our cars away from work. 
and you had to stand. But where is God in all of this? But I didn't understand. I'm trying to build in Babylon. I'm trying to build outside of being a son. And nothing worked. Nothing, nothing worked. All of my studies, all of my degrees, all of the stuff I have in finance means zero in Babylon. Because Sarah was barren in Babylon for those that weren't here last night. And so in my life, I've seen barrenness when I've tried to build outside of the kingdom of in the structure of God. Now in the last couple of years under dad's ministry, I cannot explain to you the blessing of what God does. Whenever we move our goal up, then God fulfills it. Then we have to move it up again. The scripture of beyond what you can dream is true in our lives. It's only because of one thing, because we are in the place where God wants us to build. Church planting, been involved in seven church plants. And all the ones we tried to plant independently ended in heartbreak and heartbreak. For us and for many people. And I came to a place in 2014. Business was broke. The, the property business was nothing left of it. Our church was a small church. Some of them that went through those years are sitting here. And I was on antidepressants. I was a pastor and a businessman just hanging on by a thread. And Pastor Wendy, that's it, invited us to a, a meeting at Dr. Tisha's church. And I didn't want to go. <laughs> Saturday night, you don't do church. There's more than enough church that you have to go to as a pastor to still go to somebody else's meeting on another night. No. And I sat there with the attitude, bless me if you can. And this man opened his mouth, and I had no chance. Everything that was wrong inside of my life just came out in one moment. Everything that was a mess was just touched, just like that. Dad preached, and I stood right here. Do you remember that? I came to stand here while you were preaching, not in this church. In Dr. Tish was still in the school. And I just stood here for the whole sermon because I was drinking in every word. I couldn't be, the closer I could get to the word, the better. And God turned everything upside down. Everything upside down in such a small period of time. So tonight, I want to talk to you about revival. As somebody that has served God for 36 years, I've seen revival. I've been in church services where it's so full that they stop you at the door and saying you're not allowed in now and that we stand on top of each other's shoulders to look in through the windows while people are preaching. I was in services where dad's, dad preached and saw so many miracles but then it all fades out and tonight we're pursuing revival that lasts. We're pursuing revival that doesn't just mean a turn but means moving forward in the other direction. We're pursuing revivals. I'm going to give you some of the keys revival it's not all of the keys but it is some of the keys and they are not in sequence of importance it's just as the lord gave them to me the first key i believe is obedience if god speaks 
and you don't listen, you're in trouble. You will not win against when God speaks. In Neisner, we had the boating business in 1999. You now might feel old, but okay. Um, we had the business, and there was just going to be this big tourism boost in South Africa at the turn of the century. And we were ready. We had bought all the equipment and bought everything. We're going to have this big boom of a business. And in August of that year, God says, close the business and go into ministry. And I had a meeting with my staff. I said, we're closing down. I'll help you find other work. I'm selling the business. I'm going into ministry. And they convinced me. But it's just a couple of months to the end of the year. We've got so many bookings. We've got so many things in place. Just hold out a couple more months. And I thought, well, I can hold out a couple of more months. That night, a storm came up and destroyed our boat that we had. It rained the whole of December. And the whole Neisner River was in flood. We couldn't dive. We couldn't go out on the boat, anything else. And what was supposed to be the best season ever, we had to pay money in. So when God says, close it, don't try and figure it out if it makes sense or not. Close it. If God says, open it, don't worry if the budget works or not. Open it because just listen. Just listen. Okay? My second item for... Uh, revival is worship. In Luke 7, we know the good, well-known story of the sinful woman that comes to wash Jesus' feet. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with them, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair, of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Jump to verse 48. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Worship always leads to forgiveness. Whatever you've done wrong is forgiven if you get on your face before God. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgive sins. And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In John 12 and verse 7, the same story, Jesus said, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. It was intended, God has an intention with your worship. It's not your decision if you worship or not, God has an intention with your worship. So the keys from that is true worship will draw a response from Jesus and from the people. Jesus immediately turned to her and said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the people said, but you're wasting money. How can you pour out this valuable thing just on Jesus' feet? It was a year's wages, this flask that she pours out. It makes no sense. It didn't do any value it didn't have you couldn't build a church with it you couldn't feed the poor you could do nothing with what she was doing except that it was an act of worship it was an act of worship and it drew a response i wonder if your worship is drawing a response i wonder if my worship is drawing a response the other factor is worship is not cheap oh man it cost her her everything. 
whom of us are ready to give a year's wages for something that doesn't make sense. I can't sell the project to you. I can't say how many is going to be fed. I can't say how many is going to be clothed. I can't say how many is going to be housed in this building. An act of worship is going to cost you. Worship is an act of faith because Jesus said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It takes some believing of who God is to raise up your hands and worship him. It takes faith to have worship that changes your future. Worship is not just an act that we do while we're chewing, chewing gum and we praise God, you know. And uh, we sort of like this, interested, check our phone and um, uh, chat to our friend quickly. Did you do your homework yet? And um, whatever other thing you're doing, worship in love leads to forgiveness. If you've got an issue with God, if there's something you've done wrong, fall on your face and start worshiping Him. Start worshiping Him. And revival's going to happen in your heart. Revival changes you when you're saying, I know I'm not worthy to do anything. I know I'm a sinner. That woman knew she was a sinner. But she wasn't shy to come into His presence with all she had. He said, I give it to you. One of the questions I ask God often is, how can we reenact that act? Because Jesus is not here. How can I give him something? It's not my tithe. It's not my offering. It's not something for a project. It is just something that makes no sense that I'm giving out of love. I'll park that one for a while. Maybe we'll come back to that one. But what can we do that is not fulfilling a need? Because people think giving to God must fulfill a need. It's there to do something specifically. But sometimes the giving is just purely out of love. Purely out of worship. And then number five. Worship has an intention. Jesus says, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. I don't know if she knew why she was saving this perfume. She might have thought it's for a wedding day, it's for some special occasion, it's for something else. Suddenly the day came that Jesus was there. And she knew what was the purpose for that which she'd been doing for so long. Dad spoke last night about the wise men that left two years before Mary was pregnant to bring the gifts to God. They didn't even know where they were going or why they were going, but God said, go. And in the same way, this lady was saving something up in her sinful state, in her problems that she had, in everything being wrong. She was saving. She was putting away. She was gathering because God had an intention. We just sometimes decide, okay, I'm going to go to church tonight to worship or no, I'm not going to. Based on our comfort, based on sport, based on work based on all kinds of things. But when last have you asked God, what is your intention with my worship tonight? Oh, we're going to talk about revival a bit more just now, but let's talk about faith. It needs faith for a revival to happen. Luke 5. 
Better not read the whole piece. It's a long piece. But we all know the day when they dropped the guys through the roof to just get them to Jesus. There's a desperation. There's a faith. There's an act. They're stepping out of the norm because I want to be touched by Jesus. I know that I can do some change. The problem with church is we're going to, as long as I don't ruffle the feathers, as long as I don't upset anybody by asking them to come to church every day of the week for a whole week. But we expect revival to happen. They did crazy things. And it says uh, in verse 13, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And they went to the housetop and they brought, let him down through his bed. And when he saw their faith, he said to him, oh, I love it. When he saw their faith, he said to him. So it wasn't the man on the bed's faith. It was the faith of the men who let him down. Have you got somebody that's so in trouble that they need your faith? Have you got somebody that's so desperate that they can't even apply faith? And you need to stand up for them. You need to say, I'm going to believe God for you. And if I have to carry you and let you down into church, if I have to tie you to the bed, I'll bring you. Because my faith is going to make a change in your life. He said to them, their faith. So he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven. It doesn't say that the man repented. It doesn't say that the man acknowledged who God was. His friends had faith. And his sins were forgiven. Sure, we trust in God for souls. Now, what is our faith for souls this week? What are you believing God for for your friends? What are you believing God for for your children? What are you believing God for you for your aunts and uncles? Sometimes your faith needs to be stirred for somebody else. And again, what happens? The people were upset. How can you, in verse 21... And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Your faith will ruffle feathers. Your faith will make people upset. When God starts answering your prayers, they're going to say, Who do you think you are? When God starts doing the impossible, when God takes a business that was started in the back room of our house, Jared was still living in the room. We moved his bed to the side and tried to squeeze three computers in the little bit of space that was left. And now we have branches all over the country in four years later. <laughs> I always dreamt about a thousand square meter warehouse. I thought, when will I have that? That's too small now. It's not big enough. I have to readjust my dreams. And it's like hard. But Lord, I've trusted you for this for 30 odd years. Now I have it. Now it's too small. Now what? Okay, Lord, give me a new dream. And he said to the man that was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take your bed and go into the house, to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed. They, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Oh, Lord Jesus, that's what I want people to walk away from this place. We've seen strange things today, Lord. We've seen things we've never seen before. Your faith will always lead to people glorifying God. 
What are the points of the faith? Faith is courageous. Obviously, you've got to be a little bit crazy. I don't know how happy dad will be if we start taking tiles off and dropping somebody down there. Faith is not intimidated. I wonder, they tried to get in the back door. They couldn't get the bed through. They didn't just go home. Oh, well, it was uncomfortable to get to church. There was no space for me. Nobody kept me a soft seat. Nobody made sure I had a comfortable parking. They kept going and they found another way. They said, we'll find another way, but I'm going to get to the altar. I'm going to get to what Jesus has for me. It's not intimidated. Faith rises out of desperation. My hardest times in my life. And as I say that, I see myself in different stages. Mostly sitting somewhere on a rock crying. Because nothing I did worked. Nothing that I put my hand to was successful. And being so upset that it moves you on the inside that you nearly want to give up in life. All of those moments were the catapult moments. All of those moments when I could turn my eyes off of it. I'll tell you one day in September of 2007. I don't know, those who are in the building trade knows the whole building industry collapsed. And I had a few trucks that we were working delivering sand and bricks and things. And I realized it wasn't working, so I tried to auction them off. I owed millions of rands to the bank. And the first truck comes up for sale, not one otter. Not 10 rand, not 100 rand, nothing. The truck's worth a million rand. The next one comes up, no offer. The third one comes up, no offer on it. My staff had been released. I had nothing. I had to go fetch people off the street to drive the trucks home. And we were going to Paul Elizabeth to preach in Pastor Gavin's church that weekend. And Jared was just 17 years old. And I had a blue bucky at that stage as well. Now I've got a blue bucky again, just by pure chance. I said to him, I cannot sit with the family in the car. I got into the back of the canopy of the bucky and pulled a blanket over my head for the 10 hours to Paul Elizabeth. And I just cried under that blanket. And I said, God, how can this be? All the scriptures I'm quoting, all the faith I'm applying, everything I know how to, how can none of it work, Lord? But I didn't understand. It's because I was trying to build in Babylon. That moment under the blanket, I think it was somewhere um, close to Colesburg. I eventually lifted my head up out of the blanket. I said, okay, I'm ready to face the world again. I've sorted out with God. I've cried my cry and I've faced my fears and I've faced the fact that we're going to lose everything again. And that's what you need to do. You somehow make peace with God. Don't carry something in your heart if things are not working the way you think they're supposed to work because it's not God that's wrong. It's somewhere you're wrong. You might not know where it is, but something's got to shift. And that's why you need a dad in your life that can help you to shift to the right place. Oh, how I wished for those broken years that I would have had a dad. I wasted 20 odd years in ministry and in business because I wouldn't submit. Because I thought I knew better. Because I was more trained, I had more degrees, I had more qualifications than my pastors in finances, so I thought I didn't have to listen to them. Big, big trouble. Paul says, 
You must know how to abound and know how to abase. By the time I turned 50, all I knew was how to abase. Didn't know how to prosper. Didn't know how to make it work. Didn't know how to put it together. But what does the Bible say? That which you've lost, I'll give you back sevenfold. What took me 50 years to lose, God gave back in two or three years. Faith rises out of desperation. Are you desperate tonight? You're in the best place you can ever be. You're in the place where God can meet you. You're in the place where everything else that's in the way is out of the way because you're only focused on survival. All the other distractions are away when you're lying in the back of the bucky with a blanket over your head. Then you're not worried about who you're offending or what you're doing and you can shout as loud as you want to because nobody can hear you. And you can cry from the inside of your being and say, God, help me. And even though there was a lot wrong, God still heard it. Even though everybody could tell me why I can't succeed, God still heard the cry. So in your desperate times, don't run from God. Oh my word, I've got the badge, I've done it. So I understand but it breaks my heart when I see somebody going through a hard time and they're running away from the one who's standing with his arms open who says, come home, son. Come home, daughter. I've got the answer. Your faith can benefit others. Or should I say your faith should benefit others. Your faith leads to forgiveness for you and for others. Your faith draws people. People came amazed. And then your faith should always lead to worship. They said, they all left glorifying God and were filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things today. I want to say, if you're in a weak place, if you're saying, I can't do it, I don't qualify. Oh, I heard so many times that I'm not qualified. It's written off so many times in so many aspects. In Romans 8 and verse 11, Jesus said, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body, to your weakness, to the things that you're failing in, to the things that you think you're not good enough in. It's in that very place where God's going to give life. In the place where you think you're not good enough. In the place where everybody else thinks you don't deserve to get it. When you are in your mortal situation. When you're in your weak situation. That is where God works. Right. The fourth thing about revival is prayer. That's where I really want to get to. And I'm going to tell us a story of a revival that happened in South Africa in 1860 under Andrew Murray. And dad said to me a while ago, he's studying revivals, so I've been studying revivals. And I want to tell you a little bit about this one. Prior to 1860, the Cape Colony was a spiritual wilderness. In the first 150 years of Dutch rule in the Cape, only five churches were started. 150 years, five congregations. Nothing. 
then they started praying. Um, in Kaufinia, somebody had a church, uh, Mr. Hofmeyer, and in six years of ministry, they couldn't persuade one person to ascend a single prayer meeting. Don't deny the options of small beginnings. Don't write off something because it takes time. For six years, he'd go to a prayer meeting and nobody joins him. Six years. Then, um, not even once, one person joined him. Then, Andrew Murray Sr., for 36 years, he prayed for revival every Friday night. That is 1,876 Friday nights. He prayed for revival. Okay? Who of us makes two or three Friday nights? Maybe five, maybe ten, maybe a year, maybe two. I've been praying for revival since 1983. I'm about 36 years, I think. Not quite on 38 years yet, but I'm getting there. Something's going to break in the spirit. Something's coming. Something's coming. It's not Friday night for me, but it's Saturday nights. But we're praying for revival consistently every single week. Then he sent his son off to Scotland to be trained there. And he came back and Andrew Jr. said, I begin to fear that the state of the great majority of members of my church is sadder than I first realized. Nothing but God's mighty spirit is able to conquer the deep enmity of the unconverted heart. He looked at the state of his congregation and said, I'm in trouble. There's deep trouble here. And he wanted to give up. And his dad came and laid his arm on him and said to him, are you willing to place your life on the line for this great task? If you want to see revival, you have to put your life on the line. It's not going to be just, I'm going to come now and again to church when it suits me, when it doesn't clash with anything else. There's going to have to be something that's going to cost you. So he started preaching about the Holy Spirit and he started speaking about the gift of the Holy Spirit that God promised him something. And a number of small prayer meetings begin in around about May 1860. And then some of these small prayer meetings never grew more than three people. Never grew more than three. At least they went from one now to three. They had 300% growth. Okay? Who of us would give up if only three people pitch up at a meeting? Who of us would say, this is not working, let's close the meeting. But if you keep on pushing in, if you keep on pursuing, if you keep on searching what God has got for you, then there's something. Then there came one dedicated intercessor, wore a footpath to the top of a hill, overlooking a town, and he was praying for revival. Is there a footpath in your carpet? Is there a place where you can see that you've paid a price? Is there a mark that you've left behind as you're paying your price? Walked a footpath out of praying, and he's not seeing any change. Andrew's dad prayed for 38 years, Andrew Murray's dad, and he's not seeing anything. And then there came a big meeting of about 300 of Dominis at that time. And Andrew, the Lord said to Andrew Murray, that's going to be the start of the revival. 
And at the last minute, they took him off the list. He can't preach. And he said, now what? And he said, guys, I've got a word from God. I need to preach here. And they said to him, okay, we'll give you five minutes for a prayer. Five minutes for a prayer. And everybody says that prayer marked the start of the revival. It takes one person, one prayer of five minutes. They're done in the right spirit and everything can shift. But it's not the five minutes that made the change. It was the years and years and years of faith, of praying, of believing, of worshiping. And he gets up and he just prays one prayer for five minutes. And all 370 dominies fall on their face. That's revival. Um, then one of the pastors who experienced the revival said, Before the days of revival, love of the world and sin, no earnestness or heartfelt desire for salvation. When the Lord started to move among us, how intense were the prayers for revival and the cries for mercy. I'm lost, cries one year. Lord, help me, cries another. Anxious cries were uttered and heart-rendering testimonies of conversions were heard. Visions were seen, and corporate prayer, even behind bushes and rocks on mountains and in ravines, men, women, and children were praying wherever they could, from not one person attending a prayer meeting to everybody getting together to pray wherever they can. That is when God starts to move. At first, Andrew, or, or let me say that none of this was expected by anyone, nor prepared by anyone nor worked up or preached up by anyone. It was all the Spirit of God, and not for a few hours or days, but for months long. At first, Andrew Murray was shocked at the emotionalism and apparent disorder. Oh, I love it. When you pray for revival and it comes, and it doesn't come in the package that you thought it's going to come, it's going to shock you. Here's this man that had been praying and praying and praying for revival, and it comes, and he says, I'm shocked at this emotionalism. I never thought that that is what revival is. And listen to how beautiful the story is. And Andrew sought to take control of a prayer meeting where people were experiencing agonies of conviction of sin. And it strained it, touched his shoulder and warned him, be careful what you do, for it is the Spirit of God that is at work here. Andrew Murray says, I knew everybody that was at the prayer meeting. And suddenly as I'm getting ready to stop this nonsense, Somebody touches my shoulder and says, don't you dare speak, God's working here. And after the meeting, he's looking for the stranger and he can't find him. So I guess it was an angel that just came to say, let me be, I'm working here. Let God be, he's working here. Oh man, you can never take control of what God's going to do. Revival is not going to come in the package that you expect. But revival is coming. Revival is coming. also beautiful even in the the vacuum a secular newspaper the whole they declared the whole of society has been changed yes turned literally upside down you see when your revival is just within these four walls it's not revival we need to turn the society upside down we need to make it that the world takes notice not of the great service but of the changes that happened in society. The changes that happened. Um, at a prayer meeting in 1861 in Grovnet, a meeting started after a communion service on a Sunday evening. 
became so powerfully aware of the presence of God's Holy Spirit that nobody left until Tuesday midday. Hey, Lord, that's what I'm waiting for. That's what I'm crying out for. It's Tuesday now. What have you done between Sunday night and now? Imagine if we were in church from Sunday night until now. That would ruffle some feathers. That would make some people uncomfortable. I want revival, but don't mess up my Monday. I want revival, but I'm not going to be here on a Tuesday morning or a Tuesday night. Oh, the meeting lasted nonstop until Tuesday midday in the Enke church. (laughs) Some holy cows get shaken. As Andrew Murray wrote, live in the bold and holy confidence that God is able to bless his church through you. Can I read that for you again? Live in the bold and holy confidence. Where's Dr. Keith? That God is able to bless his church through you. God is really only waiting for prayer in order to give the blessing. Jeremiah 29 and verse 13 says, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. You see, the result of revival is repentance. First of all, you will start crying out. And that's what I've been doing this week. God, forgive me for the mess-ups I've made. Forgive me for the times I've not walked to the level that you've called me. Repentance is number one. Number two, disorder. It's not going to come in the package that you expect. Number three is growth. Revival will always draw people. Miracles, prophetic, new church buildings. If you go around South Africa and you look at the beautiful Inge churches, their dates are always around about 1860 to 1920. In those 60-year period, all the beautiful, in a little town called Willow Moor, it's got about 300 inhabitants. There's a 1,500-seater church built there in a small little town of Willow Moor. Somebody had a vision. Somebody had something that he wanted to do. It wasn't built for nothing. I still want to see that church full. Schools will be started, universities and missionaries. In Amos 5 and verse 4, and I want to wrap up. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Frontline's worship team, I want you to write a song. Seek me and live. Can we keep the scripture up? Can we keep that scripture up? Seek me and live. It's got to be the heart's cry. Otherwise, we will never see revival. If we leave out the seeking of God, then we will never see life the way it has. And Amos 4 and verse 12. And I want to end here. Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel. And because I will do this to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God and this week let's prepare to meet our God let's prepare to meet our God sorry keep the scripture up for me NBCFC and all the other churches all the brothers and sisters that are here prepare to meet your God prepare to push in and push in and push in until you meet him
He is ready to meet you. He's standing with open arms. But there's a shift coming. There's a process coming. There's stuff that you've got to get rid of. You will not enter into what God has for you with everything in the way you are right now today. Prepare to meet Him. Prepare to meet Him. Seek me and live. Seek me and live. Thank you. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. Our services are streamed live on our Facebook page every Sunday morning at 9.30. For more information and resources, please go to our website, www.frontlinecitychurch.co.za or look us up on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube.